Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Preacher Boys. This is one of the biggest stories to be released regarding the IFB since Jack Scott's arrest in 2013. There has been a lawsuit issued today against David Hiles, Hiles Anderson College Incorporated, and the First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana. This lawsuit was filed on behalf of the plaintiff, Joy Evans Ryder. If you're familiar with the Star-Telegram report conducted by Sarah Smith in 2018, you have heard Joy's tragic story of sexual assault by the son of Jack Hiles, David Hiles, and the uh, pursuant cover-up. This lawsuit is going after the college and the church under a RICO Act. Uh, it is going after them as a correct uh, organization. It is going after them for racketeering, and it is going after them for the systematic cover-up and perpetuation of sexual abuse within the church. You can read the full document if you visit PreacherBoysDoc.com. That's PreacherBoysDoc.com. I have a copy available there for you to be able to download, to distribute as you see fit. This is a public document, and I hope that you will distribute it among anyone you think needs to hear this information, which is anybody connected to the IFB. I also ask that you guys would take action to question actively the college, the church, the pastor, the leadership about this case. Ask them to state their position. Ask them to come out and share the truth about this case. I don't want this to be swept under the rug like so many Hiles cover-ups in the past. With that said, I want to look at a key, a few key parts of this document. Um, we're going to work through it, and I'm going to share a little bit of my own perspective on some of this and uh, discuss a little bit about uh, what I think is so awesome about this lawsuit, the way it's written, the way that it uh, handles everything and uh, some of the things that I thought were very notable within it. So under the section marked nature of the case, under section number four, uh, it says that defendants actively concealed the rape, sexual assault, and sexual abuse, and protected the offending house employees, and shockingly, 
even promoted Heil's employees to positions of importance, including positions overseeing children that had committed or covered up rape, sexual assault, and abuse. Part 5 says, as a bishop of IFB, defendants were able to conceal the actions of Heil's employees, and when the pressure to conceal became too great, they were able to move the offending Heil's employee from location to location, church to church, within their diocese, so to speak, in order to conceal the rape, sexual assault, and sexual abuse from law enforcement and government authorities, the parents of the abused, minor children, and other responsible authorities, often moving offending Heil's employees out of the state of Indiana. The actions of the defendants allowed and even furthered the predatory practices of Heil's employees. Now, this is just the second page of the 25-page document that was put out uh, as the lawsuit that was filed against this organization. And what I like that they do instantly is make comparisons to the Catholic Church. I've done this before when referring to Hiles Anderson, to IFB churches in general, that there are little parishes and they do move abusers from church to church. And so I think adopting the language of bishop, diocese, uh, and so on and so forth is very helpful in explaining to people unfamiliar with the IFB what exactly is going on here. So I think that is wisely written. Now, I'm going to move on to part nine. The church and college consider themselves to be, quote, flagship organization for thousands of affiliated IFB organizations. I think this is important as well, because while some may look at this and say, okay, this is one college, I think it is important to say that it is a birthplace of several ministries and organizations affiliated with Hiles Anderson. Part 11. Since at least 1972, Defendants utilizing the enterprise have engaged and continue to engage in unlawful and intentional obstruction of justice, obstruction of criminal investigations, and obstruction of state or local law enforcement by subjecting plaintiff to rape, sexual assault, and the sexual abuse, then covering it up and concealing the rape, sexual assault, and sexual abuse to maintain defendants' reputations and maintain and expand their commercial operations, another key word that I think is important, in the United States, whereby defendants and the enterprise obtained and continue to obtain money, funds, assets, and other property, and in the process, cheating and defending plaintiff out of her childhood, youth, innocence, virginity, jobs, finances, assets, in short, her life. This is such a powerful paragraph, and it goes to show really the motivation behind what is really happening here. This is not protecting the cause of Christ, as attorney David Gibbs Jr. would say from the pulpit when he spoke about Jack Scott in the official statement. Uh, permit me to tell you that in my relationship with Chairman Duff and the staff and the other men that are involved, these are men of honor and integrity uh, who love this church who love the Scott family and Pastor Scott, but more than that, they love Jesus Christ. This really gets to the matter. This is an organization that is a multi-million dollar organization. This is an organization where people are benefiting off of the ties and offerings of several thousands of members. And any cover-up is in defense of the leadership's salaries, is in defense of their power and of their position. Moving forward... The suit does dive into the Scott case as a reference point, and under that section, it does talk about Scott taking advantage of his position as a spiritual leader, and it uses this to say that it is not unlike the case that the plaintiff experienced, which we will get into in a second. The government concluded, this is number 34, the government rightly concluded Scott, while leader of the church and college, quote, abused his position of trust in order to take advantage of a vulnerable victim not unlike the plaintiff. 
The government also rightly point out the enormous amount of influence the leaders of the church and college have under over individuals in their organizations. The government noted members are practically taught to worship. That's quote, practically taught to worship, end quote, the leadership. The victim's parents related the same evidence of unwavering trust. Individuals were taught to place in the leadership of the church and college. 36. Scott was so brazen in his desires toward his minor victim, who was 16 or 17, that's worth noting, that he would pen the following words, quote, Through you, I have felt very loved by God. I gave him my heart when I was five. I gave him my life when I was 17. And yes, I love him and know and understand much about him. But sometimes I just need to, quote, feel, quote, end quote, his love in a way that only he can provide. And this week through you, I have felt his love. I absolutely cannot thank you enough. It is obvious to me that God must trust you very much. He gave you the work of caring or ministering to his servant, just as the angel ministered to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Of course, you have been given enormous responsibility. The scriptures do not tell us what the angel said, how he arrived, or how he left. And apparently no one knows to this day, 2,000 years later, what happened. That's a very wise angel. And so are you, baby. End quote. 37 goes on to say, The letter from Scop, thankfully preserved in this digital age, shows the type of thinking the leader of the church and college used in order to trick a 16- and 17-year-old victim into having sexual relationships with him, including using God and other references to Christianity, in order to pretend as if her having sexual relations with him was somehow God's plan, pleasing to God, or required by God, even comparing himself to Jesus in the process. Now, this is truly a disgusting abuse of power, but they do refer later on in section 39 and 40 and on how the church leadership responded. Dr. Robert Hooker, a former vice president of the college, opined in his experience as a police officer investigator that he never saw any sign of deception in SCOP. Uh, Later on, it says Hooker concluded by begging the court to give him mercy and not to impose a jail sentence. The then president of the college, Stuart Mason, and a former president of the college, Wendell Evans, wrote on college letterhead letters requesting the court be lenient in its sentencing of SCOP. It's against this backdrop the plaintiff raises the allegations of rape, sexual assault, sexual abuse, and the Herculean efforts to excuse, cover up, silence victims, and ensure the perpetrators are not brought to justice. At this section, it goes into the general allegations, and I do think it will be helpful to read through these in its entirety to give a sense of the plaintiff's story and what is bringing about this lawsuit. Uh, This is a very, uh, very straightforward description. It is graphic, so please don't listen to this around children. Um, I just want to issue a trigger warning about this section in particular. This is a horrendous uh, event that happened in the life of the plaintiff, and it is very difficult to read and to listen to. Um, But I am going to share this with you because I do think it is incredibly pertinent uh, to the case at hand. And what's as shocking as the actions that were taken is the amount of distance that they went to cover this up as an organization. So here are the general allegations. If you have the document in front of you or if you are printing it out, this is from point 42 onward. 42. Plaintiff was 15 years old when David Hiles, a leader in the church and college and son of Jack Hiles, then president of the church and college, pinned her to the floor of his office and raped her. David Hiles had begun grooming plaintiff from the time she was 14 years old. Now, I want to take time to say that 
look, there was one year of prep. This was a process of abuse. This was one year of preparation to get to the point of an actual assault. 44. Despite plaintiff bringing the, quote, grooming by David Hiles to the attention of his father, Jack Hiles, and requesting assistance to help with this abuse, no action was taken. In fact, when plaintiff was 14 or 15 years old, she approached Jack Hiles, the lead pastor of the church, because David Hiles had been calling her constantly. In response, Jack Hiles laughed and told plaintiff she wasn't special, and that, quote, he did that with everyone. Despite these allegations, Jack Hiles did not fire David Hiles or terminate his role within the church or college. Rather, he was promoted to greater positions of influence. Multiple other girls accused David Hiles of sexual misconduct, similarly to no avail. Plaintiff would suffer sexual abuse by David Hiles for approximately two years. Plaintiff would suffer sexual abuse by David Hiles in his office located inside the buildings owned by the church and college. David Hiles selected plaintiff to join a traveling music group, Strength and Beauty, that was sponsored by the church and college. Plaintiff paid fees to the church for participation in Strength and Beauty, as well as for participation in various youth activities. At the age of 15, plaintiff paid money to the church as a tithe and offering. Plaintiff attended Hammond Baptist Schools from 1972 to 1980, at which time she graduated high school. Plaintiff also attended Hiles Anderson College from 1980 to 1982 and then transferred to Tennessee Temple. During her travels with Strength and Beauty, David Hiles would sexually abuse plaintiff. 55. In order to maintain his control over plaintiff, after each encounter of sexual abuse, David Hiles would threaten to expose plaintiff to the church and college as a, quote, whore and a, quote, slut and terminate her parents' employment with the church and college if plaintiff ever revealed the sexual abuse and or rape. Now, stepping away from this document for a second, this is the same methodology that Jack Hiles used. He preaches from the pulpit. If you visit the Preacher Boys Facebook page, you can actually see a clip of Jack Hiles saying that in every jail cell where a man has been arrested for rape, there should be a cell next to him with a half-naked woman who tempted them and stirred them up to take such action. Who slew all of these? Women in shorts. Who slew all of these? These poor kids that are the girls pregnant before they married. Caused boys to get so uh, stirred up passionately that they'll rape a girl. Brother, you listen to me. For every single man that goes to prison for rape, there ought to be right beside him a half-naked girl in the next cell. Who slew all these people on beaches? Who slew all these churches that have mixed women parties? Blaming the victim, slut-shaming those who were raped was commonplace at Hiles. It was taught from the pulpit, and David Hiles was just following exactly what he was taught. Getting back to the document in 56. Plaintiff suffered sexual abuse by David Hiles over 50 discrete instances. Some of these instances included sexual abuse at a Holiday Inn Hotel in Cook County, Illinois. During one of these instances, David Hiles demanded plaintiff immediately come to his residence since his wife was out of town, and should plaintiff not comply, he would terminate plaintiff's parents' employment with the church and college and reveal to the world that plaintiff is a, quote, slut, end quote. Plaintiff complied and went to his house in order to prevent the threats from coming to fruition. 
After plaintiff arrived, David Hiles grabbed her arm and pushed her onto a bed and literally shoved his penis into her mouth. David Hiles forcibly held plaintiff's head in as he continued to... as he continued to force his penis into her mouth. Despite plaintiff choking and struggling to breathe, David Hiles refused to let up. It only concluded as David Hiles ejaculated into the plaintiff's mouth, causing her to choke even worse. Despite the obvious trauma of the situation, David Hiles just laughed and stated, Bet you didn't expect that, did you? David Hiles would also secretly put drugs and or alcohol into food or drink being consumed by plaintiff in order to be more able to more easily force plaintiff to comply with his sexual abuse. On one occasion, after a church event one Saturday, David Hiles brought plaintiff to his office in the church building and gave plaintiff something to drink, which plaintiff later discovered had concealed some type of drug and or alcohol. After plaintiff drank this drink, David Hiles raped plaintiff in his office. After enduring two years of this abuse, plaintiff informed her parents of the sexual abuse and brought her father to one of the meetings with David Hiles, a Holiday Inn in Lansing, Illinois. We're at section 63 now. At this meeting, rather than engaging in sexual intercourse, as David Hiles wanted, plaintiff informed David Hiles that she would no longer perform any sexual acts with him ever again and informed him she had brought her father to the secret rendezvous. After this meeting, plaintiff's father brought the allegations and details regarding the meeting in Illinois personally to the attention of Jack Hiles, then president of the church and college. Plaintiff's father, and this is stepping away again from the document, this is truly uh, tragic. Plaintiff's father was given a long-term lucrative job at the college in exchange for his silence, an agreement not to take allegations to law enforcement. Plaintiff's father continued and continues to this day to receive payments from the college for many years and kept his silence in return. Again, stepping away from the document, um, this kind of attitude was also confirmed by Linda Murphy, uh, who is the daughter of Jack Hiles. She alleged in a TED talk where she exposed her father as a cult leader that her father was notorious for holding wealth and material possessions over the heads of his staff and even his children and his family. My father owned most of the city where the church was. He owned a college, two high schools, two grade schools, a cemetery, blocks of buildings. He was very wealthy. And even into our adult years, he owned us. He owned our homes, our cars, our furniture. He owned our lives. And we didn't dare cross him because we were too afraid we'd lose everything. He died a multimillionaire. He left nothing to his children. He left everything to the organization, which my younger sister and her husband now lead. And they still perpetuate his legacy, the strict rules, the undying loyalty, and they still try to keep all the secrets. Back to the document. After this incident regarding plaintiff and her father, David Hiles was moved from the church and sent to Texas to join the staff of Miller Road Baptist Church, the church Jack Hiles pastored prior to taking over the church. At this church, David Hiles would again be accused of sexual misconduct. As the bishop of the IFB, the sexual misconduct at the Texas church was reported to Jack Hiles, but he refused to take any action and failed to report this information to the police. 
Instances of child rape and sexual abuse by clergy, including IFB clergy, are widely known and have fortunately led to numerous investigations, trials, and convictions. These investigations have also shed light on elaborate attempts many organizations have made to cover up reported incidents. Only in recent years have these instances of child sexual abuse received such significant media and public attention, bringing much-needed sunlight to an otherwise clouded area of abuse, hurt, and deception. We're now in 72. For instance, in August 2018, a Pennsylvania grand jury determined the Catholic Church of Pennsylvania covered up sexual abuse by more than 300 priests and victimized more than 1,000 individuals. The grand jury report reflected similar characteristics to the actions of the defendant in the instant case, encouraging victims not to report the abuse to law enforcement, failing to properly investigate allegations of abuse, and sending offending clergy to other parishes in order to fix the situation. Recent investigations have uncovered there are hundreds, if not thousands, of victims, men, women, and children that have suffered rape, sexual assault, and sexual abuse in the past few decades by IFB-affiliated entities. A recent investigation by the Fort Worth Star-Telegram uncovered over 412 allegations of sexual misconduct in 187 churches, IFB churches, sorry, and their affiliated institutions spanning 40 states and Canada. Shockingly, scores of abusers remain in their position of authority in their organization despite the accusations of sexual misconduct. Many victims share the same background, abuse by a, quote, spiritual leader in a position of influence, whether pastor, teacher, counselor, etc., over the individual, compounded by the cult-like power IFB leaders hold in their organizations. In this case, the enterprise treated rape, sexual abuse, and sexual assault as an internal matter and dealt with these serious allegations internally rather than bringing in outside investigators or bringing the information to law enforcement. In fact, great lengths were taken to prevent law enforcement from learning of the rape, sexual abuse, and sexual assault. The enterprise routinely moved offending Hiles employees, including but not limited to the defendant, David Hiles, to other entries related to the church and for the college without reporting the incidents to law enforcement where the individuals would continue working in a capacity that would involve interaction with children. Sexual abuse has been tolerated and ignored by the enterprise and its leadership for decades. Despite plaintiff's plea, the enterprise refused to take action to correct the wrong that had occurred to her and continued to cover up the terrible acts committed against her. As the spiritual leaders of plaintiff in positions of authority and power, defendants knew that plaintiff put her faith, trust, and confidence in them and the Hiles employees. After the Scott debacle identified above, the Enterprise retained David Gibbs Jr. to conduct an investigation to determine if there were any other incidents of inappropriate conduct with a minor. Stepping away from the document, that is a really important part. David Gibbs Jr. is a is a critical piece of the puzzle when it comes to abuse within the IFB, and this, again, wisely breaks down why. Going back to number 82... David Gibbs Jr. is and was at all times material hereto, a basically retired attorney from Ohio and a lifelong friend of Jack Hiles, David Hiles, Jack Scop, and the current pastor, John Wilkerson. David Gibbs Jr. is and was at all times material hereto, a Christian speaker who promotes pastoral authority and autonomy over all local church matters. He is known to have helped many child abusers, racists, and adulterers remain in leadership roles in churches despite the moral and criminal failings of the people involved. David Gibbs Jr. is and was at all times material hereto, fully aware of the abuse that occurred at the Enterprise, but never took any action or encouraged the Enterprise's leaders to take corrective action. 
Luke Lukenhoff, a leader and deacon of the church, identified this investigation and wrote in his December two, his December 2nd, 2012 correspondence that his, quote, fear that other victims would come forward did not come to fruition. Plaintiff attempted to participate in the investigation performed by David Gibbs Jr., but her allegations were rejected and no action was taken. To date, the enterprise has refused to conduct a meaningful investigation into the sexual abuse complained of by the plaintiff. Number 88. And this is incredibly relevant. I'm stepping away from this once again. Many questions has been raised about John Wilkerson, who's the new pastor of First Baptist Church of Hammond, and whether he is a good guy cleaning up a bad place, uh, what his stance on abuse is, whether he would take a hardline approach on cases like this. Well, here we see, jumping into 88, plaintiff approached Wilkerson on March 7th, 2014, and continued to request the Enterprise turn over the relevant documents and evidence of the sexual assault, sexual abuse, and rape conducted by its employees and officers, perform a meaningful investigation to the sexual abuse complained of by the plaintiff, and provide the information to law enforcement in order to hold the responsible individuals accountable. On March 8, 2014, Wilkerson provided plaintiff an ambiguous, equivocated response thanking her for bringing this to his attention, the abuse she suffered, but refusing to acknowledge plaintiff's request to conduct a meaningful investigation. This is concludes the section that I'm going to read. Um, the rest goes into the exact laws that were violated, um, and you can read through all of that. There's a lot of criminal codes and things that are listed out. Um, but uh, the, the one last thing I want to read from the report, this is from, I believe, page let's see, 23... This is from page 21, uh, section 113. It just says, The Hiles employees carried out the racketeering activities at the direction of defendants Jack Hiles and David Hiles and worked with other independent fundamental Baptist churches to relocate abusers such as David Hiles in an attempt to conceal, cover up, condone, and facilitate the sexual abuse of minors. There's so much in this case that's important. Um Obviously, just having it, you know, documented, um, an actual lawsuit written out with a clear picture given. And I think this is so well written and gives such a clear picture of the way that the independent Baptist movement operates, the way that Hiles Anderson and First Baptist Church of Hammond have operated, the way that David Gibbs Jr. as a lawyer has helped them overcome choppy waters of allegations and criminal activity. And I just think that this is such a groundbreaking, important lawsuit. And I'm thankful, so thankful for the plaintiff, Joy Ryder, going after the organization as a whole. I think it's so important. This is not one-off people. We talk about this on the show all the time. This is not someone who is a, a strange anomaly that pops up. These are people who are embracing the ideology and doctrine of the church that they are attending. And this church happens to be one of the most harmful cults around today. The First Baptist Church of Hammond, Hiles Anderson College, and the son of one of the most notorious cult leaders and a cult leader in his own right, David Hiles. David Hiles is a disgusting, disgusting person who's gotten away with incredible acts solely on the basis of who his father was, the amount of money, power, and leverage that they held over their congregation and their staff and those around them, and the fact that they used spiritual means to achieve these 
carnal and evil goals is absolutely disgusting. And I'm so excited to see where this lawsuit goes. Um, I'm really hoping that um, this continues pushing forward and reveals much more than what we know already. And so what I'm going to ask you guys as listeners to do, one, if you are believers, be praying for the plaintiff, Joy Ryder, uh, be praying for the legal team behind this, be praying for this lawsuit, that it would uh, be extremely effective in tackling one of the largest, most damaging cults around today. And um, like I said, just be put a lot of pressure on these guys. I mean, you'd be asking John Wilkerson, tweet at John Wilkerson, send emails to the church, send letters, call the church, ask questions about this lawsuit, about what they're doing to eliminate abuse, what they're doing to cooperate in the investigations that will be happening and ask him why this has been allowed to go on so long in such a massive organization and what the motivation has been behind that. As I said at the beginning of the show, this full document will be available for download on PreacherBoys.doc. That's PreacherBoysDoc.com. Download it, print it, share it with people, email it around, do whatever you need to do to get the word out about this. And as I said, just start applying pressure, start asking questions that they don't want you to ask. And uh, I'm going to keep reporting on this as we get updates, um, as we find out more about this case, and I want to keep this at the forefront. Um, I know this isn't a regularly scheduled episode, but this is one of the most important uh, stories to come out of First Baptist Church of Hammond since Scott's arrest in 2013. And so I wanted to share this with you guys immediately, um, share this episode, uh, tag friends in the comments if you know people who are attending there that maybe um, still think it's a wonderful place. I mean, share this uh, this testimony with them uh, and start really asking questions. We want to see uh, potential victims come forward. We want to see people who um, have been abused and feel scared to leave to feel freedom now. And we want people who have facilitated and perpetuated abuse from this ministry to go behind bars. And that's really the goal here. And so um, I'm hoping this goes forward well, and I uh, appreciate, appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, I'll continue to share updates, so make sure that you are subscribed to the show, connected on social media, um, and be sure, like I said, to visit PreacherBoysDoc.com to download your copy of this lawsuit. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening to this incredibly important episode. I uh, really appreciate it, and I know that the plaintiff will as well, um, and everyone who's been harmed by this um, horrible, horrible organization. So thank you guys so much for listening, and uh, I'll keep you posted when I find out more. All right, that's it for today's episode. I'll catch you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.